Good morning and welcome to our service of worship here at First Church of New Knoxville. We're so glad that you've decided to join us as we worship the Lord together this morning. We're going to start our service with a prelude by Sharon Cheney. Wonderful. Thank you, Sharon. Welcome once again to our service of worship here at First Church in New Knoxville. Just a friendly reminder to those of you who are not here with us in the church this morning, those that are listening on the radio or watching on Facebook, we're so glad that you've joined us. You can find a copy of our bulletin on our website at firstchurchnk.org. At the end of our service today, we will be celebrating communion together. So for those of you that are gathered here today, hopefully you got a chance to grab one of the prepackaged communion elements on your way in the door today. If you did not get a chance at some point during the service, I encourage you to go and grab one. There are trays at all of the entrances and exits here today. If you are, again, worshiping with us at home, I encourage you to participate with us in communion today in, in whatever way you are able to do that. If you have access to some bread and some juice or something along those lines, I encourage you to grab those. Um, if you don't have access to anything like that today, know that you can still participate with us in your heart, spiritually, um, knowing what, what the bread and the juice represent, uh, knowing that Christ has certainly died for you. Uh, so I encourage you, whether you're here, whether you're watching at home or listening on the radio, uh, to participate with us in the Lord's Supper at the end of the service today. Uh, there are several announcements I want to cover for us. Again, they are in your bulletin as well as some others that I'm not going to say out loud. But we do want to mention that the Rose on the Altar today is in honor of Jerry and Sue Lehman, who will celebrate their 55th wedding anniversary on August 6th. Happy anniversary to Jerry and Sue. Congratulations also to Cody and Nikki Vogel on the birth of their daughter, Alyssa Nancy, who arrived on Wednesday, July 29th. Nikki is the daughter of Larry and Joyce Kellemeyer, and Cody is the son of Beth Hunstein and Dave and Linda Vogel. Alyssa was welcomed home by big sister Hazley. Congratulations to them as well. 
On August 15th, which is a Saturday morning, the trustees are looking for some volunteers to help with some projects around the church. They'll be meeting here starting at 9 a.m. We're planning to change some of the light bulbs here in the sanctuary, uh, specifically around the arch here by the dome, uh, swapping out some of the, the bulbs that are out for new LED bulbs, as well as working to clean out and organize the Sunday school office, the old Sunday school office on the second floor above the elevator. So if you're available that morning and you would like to help out, I encourage you to be here at the church at 9 a.m. to help with some of those projects. Tonight, junior and senior high youth backyard Bible study is at Jake and Tori's house from 7 to 8.30. That's open to, as I said, junior and senior high kids. I encourage you to join up and, with them and study God's word together. I uh, just want to also take a moment and make a comment about the open doors. Uh, for those of you who, who saw on Facebook, we announced and obviously gathering here today that we have decided that from this point forward, we are going to allow all the, ma- all the entrances to the church to be open. Uh, since the start of the pandemic and since we resumed in-person worship services, we've been limiting access to the building to the main two doors, the parking lot door as well as the door with the elevator access. And the reason that we were doing that was in order to try to limit the number of spaces that needed to be cleaned and sanitized on a given week. Um, and so in, in talking with Greg and Lori, um, they, that's something that they've been keeping up on, and they've been doing a fantastic job every week making sure that not only the sanctuary but all the entrances and all the doors and handles, all of that stuff is cleaned every week. Um, a few people have asked me recently about using those other doors, and the reason for that and the reason we decided to begin to open them now is to allow people to be able to come and go without... Uh, going through the maybe more crowded, more more highly trafficked doors uh, that we have been using. So um, that's the reasoning for doing it. We want to give people an option. If you want to if you want to sneak out one of the side doors and not have to worry about walking through the crowd of people, that's certainly an option, and we want to give that option to you. And so um, those all of those entrances and exits have been cleaned on a regular basis, and they'll continue to be cleaned. So feel free after the service today um, to use any one of the four uh, exits here from the sanctuary. And, of course, as you came in, you saw that there are tables there with bulletins, with hand sanitizer, with masks, and all those sorts of things as well and communion elements for today. Uh, one more note on announcements here before we open up our continue to worship the Lord with our call to worship this morning. And I just want to remind you to, to give us some input on service times. Last week I shared with you that we're, co- we're considering as we approach the fall and starting up Sunday school and confirmation again, uh, we're considering uh, two options for service times. One is to remain here at 1015, uh, with, which is what we've been doing since the start of the pandemic, or returning back to 9 a.m., uh, with 1015 Sunday School. So I, I want to thank all of you who, who gave some feedback. We got a lot of responses on Facebook. I got a lot of responses uh, through, through messages and notes uh, in the office. And so I appreciate all of that. Uh, and I just want to encourage you to continue, if you haven't had a chance yet, to share with me or, uh, or one of the elders you know, what your thoughts are. I encourage you to do that um, in the coming weeks. With that being said, I want to encourage you to stand for our call to worship this morning, if you're able. Our call to worship comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they, are, what they have done has been done in the sight of God. If you're able, I encourage you to remain standing as we sing our first praise song this morning, God So Loved.
seated. This time we want to invite forward Maria Lammers for our children's chat this morning. Thanks, Maria, for being here. Oh my, I have no little people. Just little people over here. So I will talk to the Bouchon kids today. Hey, if you wake up one day and you had one job to do that day, and that was to please God. What would you do to please God? Would you pray? Would you listen to mom and dad? When we do things that please God, then we are, we are lifting him up, okay? And when you come to school, Claire and Millie, and you do a good job, what do I put on your paper? Do I put a sticker on your paper? Do you like getting stickers? Yeah. Yeah, you like to be told that you do a good job. So you get a, you get a, you get a sticker. And the bigger kids, they get report cards. And sometimes they get rewards for those um, report cards, and maybe they don't at all. And that can be frustrating because we work hard, and we like to be recognized for what we do. Okay? And a lot of people think that the only way that they can find happiness is to get a good grade or be that awesome athlete or make lots of money. And if all we do is aim to play, please people, we're going to be really frustrated and disappointed. In the Bible, it tells us that we should aim to please God so that in everything we do, we should work to please God and not man. The Bible says that when we live to please God, we will have a full and happy life. Do you know that in God's eyes, you are more than a report card or a grade? You are loved by God very much. In God's eyes, we are covered with stickers and gold stars. So let's pray. Dear God, Help us to realize that we can never find true happiness in the things of this world or in others' approval. You alone are the source of all true happiness. Help us to honor you in all that we do. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Maria. As we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, I want to encourage you to, uh, to continue to uh, use our prayer list that we have in the bulletin. Uh, about a month ago, we started doing things a little differently. And again, I just want to remind you of that and actually share with you one of the reasons why I've, uh, one of the things that I've seen come out of this change. As you know, we've been uh, refreshing the prayer list each week. Um, all the names and families that are represented there are people that have specifically re- requested prayer uh, for a situation this week. So you know that, that the names that are listed are people that are, that are, that are in need, people that, are, that have current needs before them that we're seeking God out. Uh, one of the things that has come of this that I've really been blessed by is the chance to talk with some of some of these individuals and some of these people uh, on a regular basis. I was just speaking with one person on the phone this week when they called in to ask for prayer, and I told him I said this is said there's a I don't know if you want to call it a selfish reason I don't think it's necessarily that but one of the blessings I get that comes out of this 
is I get an opportunity to, to chat with you and hear how things are going. And it gives me an opportunity to, I got to touch base with her a little bit. And it was just really a, a blessing to be able to, to speak with her and be able to talk about what's going on. And beyond that, too, we also get an opportunity to hear how God is working in the midst of it. You know, as we pray, we, we often just pile our needs and our, our, our requests onto God. Uh, but very rarely, I should say, or, or, or maybe not as often, do we ever go to God and thank him and praise him for the answers to those prayers. And that's the other thing that we've seen over these past few weeks is, again, as people have called in and made these requests, we've been able to see how God has been working in those situations. We've been able to see how God is answering these prayers and what a blessing that is. And and it's important for us not only to pray to God and and lift up our concerns, he calls us to do that, but he also calls us to to praise him, to, to thank him for the ways that he's working in our lives and the ways that he is answering these prayers. So I want to encourage you today as you or in this week, as you look at those list of names again and pray for them, also think about how, how God is working and he's active and he is answering our prayers as we lift them up to him. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and thank him for that. Lord God, I thank you that you can and you do answer our prayers. Lord, it may not always be in our timing. It may not always be the way that we expect. But we know that you are a God who loves us, who cares for us, and who is able to meet our needs in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we thank you for that. We praise you for answered prayer. We praise you, Lord, that you are that you are active and that you are working in the lives of, of us as individuals. You are, you are active and working in the life of this church. And you are certainly active and working in our nation and our world. And so we ask you, Lord, to continue to work, to continue to be faithful to your word, your promises, um, Lord, and, and help us to, to put our hope and our trust in those things and what your word says and the kind of things that we should be that we should care about, Lord, um, because we know that if we ask according to your will, that you will answer us. And so we thank you for that good hope and those promises. Lord, we, today we especially pray for all of the, uh, the kids and the teens that are, that are preparing for the fair this week. Uh, Lord, I know there's a lot of disappointment. Um, just in the last week, Lord, seeing the fair be, be transitioned to just a junior fair only and only the, res- and the restrictions, of course, that are in place even for that. Lord, it's disappointing. And I know there's a lot of kids that, and a lot of adults, Lord, that were looking forward to the fair this week. It's such an important part of our, our community. And, and uh, I just pray, Lord, that you would, you would be with those that are still able to participate, that you would bring joy and, um, and, and excitement, Lord, even in what they're able to do. And I pray, Lord, that that they would have a safe and good experience at fair this year. Lord, there's always things in this in this life that are going to disappoint us. There's always things that are not going to go the way that we want or the way we expect. So, Lord, in those times, help us to turn our attention to you, Um, Lord, because you are never going to disappoint. You are never going to let us down. Scripture teaches us that you will never leave nor forsake your people. And so, Lord, help us when everything else is falling apart, to focus on that because you are a God who loves us, who cares for us, and will certainly answer our prayers according to your will. And so we lift these things up to you and pray for them in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. This time again, if you're able, I invite you to stand and sing with us our next song. It's hymn number 195, Nothing But the Blood. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture reading today is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I encourage you to follow along with me in your own Bible. 
on a phone or device of some sort, or if you don't have any access to something like that, the words are also printed in the bulletin for you. Hear Paul's, hear Paul's words to the Thessalonians, beginning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming." The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that the wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for the reading of your word. I pray now as we take a moment or take take some time here during this service to to take a look at it. I pray that you would guide us in our thoughts. I pray that you would soften our hearts to what you have to say to us today. And I pray, Lord, that you would use me, that you would speak through me to deliver the message that you would have for us this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I receive a lot of emails that claim to be from a bank or some sort of, of website. And what they want me to do is they want me to, they, they claim that there's a problem somewhere, that I need to click on this link in order to confirm my credentials. I get emails from bank account, banks that I don't even have accounts with, right? And, and what they want you to do is they want you to click on this link and give away your personal information so that they can steal your identity, right? It's a scam. They're, they're spam emails that, that are just phishing, trying to get someone to, to fall for the trick in order for them to gain a profit. Uh, Connie even gets emails in the office that are supposedly from me. Someone will email her claiming to be Pastor Joel, and they want her to go out and, and buy some gift cards so that I can give them away, right? And I'm just sitting down in the office down the, down the hall from her. And so obviously it's it's a fake account, right? Someone is trying to impersonate me and, and trying to get her as the as a treasurer to uh, to make purchases on their behalf. It's a pretty common phenomenon, and, and people, are, people are used to that these days, but, but we see here in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians that that's not a new phenomenon. Paul here is addressing the Thessalonians, and he has a concern because, because they seem to have received some sort of message, whether it was by, he says, word of prophecy, by word of mouth, or by letter, that contradicted what Paul had been teaching them all along. Remember, this is Paul's second letter to this church. 
And so sometime between the last one and this one, they must have received some sort of instruction or some sort of message claiming to be from Paul that taught them something that wasn't true. And so Paul here is addressing the issue. And it, in fact, it's, it's similar in, in, in the same issue, excuse me, same topic, but a different issue from what he addressed in his previous letter. In 1 Thessalonians, he talked about the coming of the Lord, but in that case, the concern was for people that have already died. The Thessalonians worried that their loved ones who passed away would miss out when Christ returned. And so Paul comforted them in that passage by explaining that Christ will gather all his people, living and dead, to himself when he returns. The dead in Christ will certainly not miss out on the second coming. And so Paul here once again addresses what will happen when Christ returns. But, but the, so it's the same topic, but a different concern here. In this section, Paul once again talks about the return of Christ. Excuse me, I lost my place there. He, he once again talks about the, re- the return of Christ, but the concern is different. In fact, back in 1 Thessalonians, he said he didn't need to talk about dates or times because they already knew what, was, knew what they needed to know. Now, however, these people are afraid that they somehow missed out on the second coming. They think that Jesus had already returned and somehow forgot about them. And so Paul here is addressing an issue of false teaching. He's addressing the fact that these people had received a message, had received teaching uh, from some other source. And Paul is writing here to try to correct their belief and try to correct their perspective. In fact, the, the teaching they received was very likely a letter. If you have, a, if you have your own Bible in front of you, uh, you, can, you can look ahead to the end of this letter, at the end of chapter 3, when Paul is, is signing his final greetings in verse 17. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. He's like trying to emphasize that this really is me, right? This, is, this message can be trusted because I, Paul, am the one that is writing it. And so Paul warns this church that they've fallen victim to false teaching. And this is not the only time that Paul has had to confront this sort of thing in his letters. In his letter to the Galatians, he confronts false teaching there as well, in much stronger language. In Galatians 1, 6-9, he says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And then just a couple chapters later in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Right? Paul takes false teaching very seriously. Right? He, takes, um, he takes it very seriously when someone is, is trying to lead God's people astray, and so should we. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says he doesn't want the church to be unsettled and alarmed. He doesn't want them to be deceived by this false teaching. You know, false teaching has always been a problem for God's people. False prophets in Jeremiah's day claimed uh, peace, peace when there was no peace, right? And God accuses these false prophets of treating the wounds of my people as if they were not serious. 
In Jesus' day, he confronted Pharisees who accused him of blasphemy, who created harsh rules for people to follow that they themselves were unwilling to lift a finger to help them. At one point, he says that they create converts that are twice the sons of hell that they are. And in the early church, insidious false teaching found its way into the Thessalonian and Galatian churches, and I'm sure many others. Paul even warns Timothy, his friend and pastor, in 2 Timothy about these false teachers. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. And then again in 2 Timothy 4, he warns them, he says, a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That's what, we need. That's what we need to be careful about, right? False teaching, deception, and distractions have always been a problem for God's people. And let me ask you this. Do you think it's, anything has changed over the last 2,000 years? Do you think the problem has just gone away? Of course not. Right? We need to make sure that we are grounded in the truth because there's always going to be someone or something that's going to try to distract us and deceive us so that our focus is not on Christ where it should be. We live in a society that believes truth in and of itself is malleable. Some say there is no absolute truth. The very definitions of words are up for grabs and can be changed over time. Think of a statement as simple and as biblical as God is love. It's a direct quotation from 1 John. It seems straightforward, but I challenge you to go out and ask people what that means. You'll get a lot of different answers. The problem we have is that we've redefined the term love. For that matter, there are plenty of people who have tried to redefine the term God, but that's a whole different sermon. The point I'm trying to make is this, right? In a culture where there is no absolute truth, where there is no foundation or common ground to start from, anything can go, and that's a problem. We live in a culture of fake news and, un, and excuse me, of fake news and alternative facts. You know, I have the privilege to be Facebook friends with people from all over the political and cultural spectrum. And it's amazing to see how people can take the same bit of news or the same video clip and spin it to fit their own narrative. They can be talking about the same exact thing, but be, but be come to two completely different conclusions based on their own preconceived notions. And it comes from every angle. I'm not singling out one side or the other. It's all over the place. We spin facts in order to fit our own narrative rather than to serve the truth. But we also have a tendency to spread misinformation and sometimes outright lies. Right? Not, only, not always on purpose, of course. There are times when we share something or we say th- something only later to find out it's wrong. Right? It happens to the best of us. It happens to me. But it's so important, especially as Christians, to make sure that what we say and what we share is the truth. Jesus himself is the truth, right? John fourteen six, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And if Jesus is the truth, and if we represent him in this world, then we better make sure that we are people of the truth. Now, there are a lot of good reasons for us to do this. There's a lot of good reasons for us to be tried, to try to be truthful and as truthful as we can in everything that we do. But I'd like us to consider at least one thing today. If we're constantly spreading misinformation, if we buy into conspiracy theories and whatever else we may read on Facebook and Twitter, then why would anyone listen to us? Why is anyone going to give us as Christians the time of day when we then go and try to share the gospel with them? If everything else we do is, is, is half-truths and twisted truths and misinformation, why is anybody going to give us the time of day when we take a moment and share the good news of the gospel with them? The one truth in this world that everybody needs to hear. So we need to make sure that we as Christians especially are people of the truth. And that brings me then to the solution to this problem. And this is exactly what Paul did here for the Thessalonians. They had bought into a lie. They believed the fake news and the alternative facts. And so Paul then gives them the truth that they need to hear. He points them back to what he, they had already known and what they had already heard from him. Look at, look at verse 5. He says, don't you remember when I taught you these things? In a world that's lost its grip on truth, we need to rely on the truth. Right? We need to rely on God's word above and beyond everything else that this world has to offer. We need to ground ourselves in Scripture. Remember Paul's warning to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 that people would surround themselves with false teachers? Here's the advice that Paul gives to Timothy in that case. Again, this is 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, in the, pro- in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. What's, what's the solution to fake news and misinformation? What's the, what's, what is the tool that God has given us to combat false teaching? It's God's word. It's right here. We need to make sure that we are grounding ourselves in God's word because this is what God has given us so that we can know what is true and how to live in a world that, is, that doesn't see truth as a thing anymore. Right? The word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. The word of God accomplishes what God intends for it to accomplish. It goes forth from his mouth. It does not come back to him void. And of course, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the key to correcting misinformation and false teaching is with the Word of God. Right? Sound doctrine and right belief can put our minds at ease. It, we need the truth. We need it because it's the only thing that can bring us assurance in a chaotic world. And so I want to challenge you today. Fill your minds with Scripture. Fill your mind and your heart with God's Word before you fill it with social media or the news or anything else this world has to offer. God's word is truth, and that's the foundation that we must build on. That's the, the filter through which we should see the rest of the world. 
Now, I'm not saying that social media or the news media is inherently bad, although some may argue that to be the case. But we need to make sure that we're consuming those things in light of our scriptural foundation and not the other way around. You guys know how polarized sunglasses work? Right? When, you, when you put on a, a pair of sunglasses that are polarized, they're designed in such a way that they only allow light to come in from a certain direction. Light is a wave, and so as it's coming down, it, it's, in all, it's moving in all different directions. But polarized sunglasses have a very special filter in it that only allows light that's moving in a certain plane, in a certain direction to come through. That's how they work. That's what Scripture can be for us. Right? Polarized sunglasses work by filtering out all light except those that align with the polarization. We need to view the world through a scriptural lens so we know how to filter out the stuff that doesn't align with the truth of God's word. Now I say all of this, right? I, I'm sharing all of this with you so that, I can, that we can then take a look at this passage in the right perspective. Like the Thessalonians, we too have been taught a lot about the end times, about the Antichrist, about what will happen when Jesus returns. And not all of it is biblical. Right? Not all of it is grounded in God's word. Some of it comes from, from pop culture. Some of it comes from just misunderstandings or misconceptions. Right? How many of you remember the Left Behind book series? Right? Entertaining read, but not necessarily the best source of biblical theology, right? There, there were novels intended to entertain, and there is certainly some aspects of truth in there, but we need to make sure that we're getting our theology from God's word and not necessarily sources like that. When it comes to end times and really all matters of life and faith, we need to make sure we're grounding our beliefs in scripture and not pop culture or a worldly perspective. Right? Let's be honest with ourselves. End times right, is a very hot topic right now. Right? I'm sure many of you have seen or have thought or have talked with others about what has gone on these last four or five months from the global pandemic to, to, the, to the economic and societal unease all across our country. There's a lot of uncertainty about what has happened and what will happen in the next weeks or months or even years. Right? A lot of us are uneasy about it. We've never really been in control of our lives, right? If we're honest with ourselves, that's never been the case. But now more than ever, that seems to be true. The illusion of control has been stripped away. And so some people have asked, right, is, is the pandemic and all this unrest a sign that the end is near? Are we approaching the end times? And if all of the things that I say today, I want to be clear about this. My answer is, I don't know. Because none of us can know. None of us can know the times and the dates that the Father has set because that's for him to know and not for us. Scripture never talks about the end times so that we can put together a timetable. The Bible always talks about the end times for two reasons. One, to ensure, that God, to ensure us, to remind us that God is in control. And two, that we should live as if point one is true every day of our lives. And the same is true for this passage. Paul gives some details about the events surrounding the return of Christ, but the details are pretty thin. His main concern is to remind the Thessalonians that Jesus has not returned yet. They didn't, they didn't miss out on it, but that he will come back. And when he does, evil will be defeated. So I want to take a few minutes. And again, I don't, I don't want us to, to get lost in the details here. One of the 
One of the dangers that I think that we can have with a passage like this is we get so focused on those, those interesting things that we want to speculate about. Who is this man of lawlessness? Is he alive today? Is he a political figure? Is he a religious figure? I don't think that's the intention of a passage like this. It does teach us something about that person. But the focus here, the main focus, needs to be and should be on Christ. And so let's take a few moments and look at what the passage does say about this man of lawlessness. One um, is that, that he is, uh, one we see for, throughout this passage, that, that he is doomed for destruction. From the very start, Paul wants us to know that this man will not win. He doesn't even stand a chance. But he will oppose God. He will exalt himself up and, and claim to be God and, and claim worship that he does not deserve. Right? There are lots of bad people in this world, but this one will be different. He will claim to be God and, and even ask people to worship him. Right? It says that he will set himself up in the temple. The temple was the very center of Israel's life and worship. And so for someone to claim authority that doesn't belong to them, to set themselves up in that temple is, a, is just a, an affront to God and, and, and uh, in a way thumbing his nose at the Lord. It says that this will all transpire after time of rebellion, or as uh, the, the word there is, is apostasy. It's a rebellion, abandonment, a breach of faith. Daniel talks about this in Daniel chapter 11. He, says that he talks about a powerful king that will rise up and his armed, force, armed forces will desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they'll set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. There's two things that are really important here from Daniel that, uh, that we need to know. One is that this leader will deceive and corrupt many people. That's what Paul is talking about here in 2 Thessalonians 2. But we also need to be assured that those who know God, those who have put their trust in Christ, those who have a relationship with him, have nothing to fear. We will resist him. Paul also tells us in, in 2 Thessalonians 2 that lawlessness is already at work in this world. And that's a theme that we see in the Gospels and in 1 John. 1 John talks about, in 1 John 2.18, he says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. You see, there will always be false teachers. There will always be people in this world who oppose God because we live in a world that's been broken by sin. We experience the, effect, the effects of it every day. And so we should not be surprised when the world opposes the kingdom of God or we experience hardship in general because lawlessness is already at work. Paul goes on to talk about how Satan works, that this man of lawlessness is in line with how Satan works in this world. And he talks about signs and wonders. Right? Think back to the, the story of the Exodus when, when God gave Moses and Aaron the ability to perform signs. Right? There were magicians in Pharaoh's courts who were able to replicate at least a couple of them. Right? And, and the way Scripture describes it, they were real miracles. Their staffs actually turned into snakes. They were able to turn water into blood. They were able to replicate the, the plague of frogs. But that was it. And it reminds us that even, even in those things, the enemy's power is limited. And the purpose, the goal of it all is to serve the lie. Satan seeks to lie and deceive and distract us. Right? God's miracles are meant to point us to Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, 
with the healing of the paralytic, he tells them so that the son of so excuse me, so that you may know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins. The son of man, excuse me, so that you may know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins. And then he goes on to heal the paralytic. Right. God's miracles are meant to point us to the truth of who God, who Christ is. But the enemy's miracles, if you want to call them that, are meant to serve the lie. They're meant to distract us and deceive us and blind us from seeing the truth. And so with the time I've left, I want us to focus then on, on what Paul wants us to hear. He says there's going to be a man of lawlessness that's going to come. There's going to be someone who's going to rise up and oppose God. And there's many in this world who will buy into that lie. But Paul reminds us here what we need to remind ourselves of is that God is sovereign and he is in control. God is the one who's holding him back. Right? The experience of evil in this world is real and sin has devastating effects. Both their own sin as well as the sin of other people affect the world that we live in. But we know that God in his grace and his sovereignty and his mercy is holding back evil in his own way, right? Second Peter three, eight through nine says, don't forget one thing, dear friends with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Even now, God is holding back evil. God is restraining the, the full and complete effects of evil. And he's doing it so that we may have time to see his goodness, see his mercy, and turn to him and trust him for our salvation. Everything, even the enemy, is ultimately under God's control and authority. Nothing happens or can happen outside the will of God. We also see that Jesus is king. When he returns, he will defeat evil once and for all. Right? Jesus will return and he will defeat the enemy with a single word. And so we must trust God and his timing and his plan that evil will be defeated in the end. As Martin Luther said, in a mighty fortress is our God. He says, and throw this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That's the hope we have, that, that the enemy will be defeated, that he doesn't stand a chance when Jesus returns. Paul closes out this section to remind us that that there will be punishment for the wicked. We know that Satan deceives and distracts this, and distracts this world. Second Corinthians 4, 4 says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Paul here describes people who refuse to see the truth, who refuse to, to see it and be saved, that delight in wickedness. Right, the refusal to see the truth right, is, is a willful, intentional rejection of the gospel. People who have been exposed to the truth yet decide to continue to embrace the lie. Right? You can't refuse something you're not aware of. And so Paul here is talking about people who have heard the gospel yet have rejected it. But it doesn't have to be that way for us, does it? We don't have to be in that position where we have heard the gospel and rejected it. Because we can receive the gospel with, with the good news, with the faith that God has given us in Christ. 
And so I want to close today by reminding you not to buy into the lie. Don't be deceived or distracted. Know that God loves you, that he sent his son to die as an atoning sacrifice for your sins. Right? You can experience forgiveness and eternal life today by trusting in Christ. Right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you believe that? Are you ready? Whenever Christ returns, whenever that may be, whether it's today, whether it's before I even finish the sentence, are you ready for when he comes? God has given us that hope. He's given us that promise. And all he asks us to do is respond in faith. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. I thank you that you have won the battle, that Christ, when you died on the cross, when you rose again, the, the, the victory has already been achieved. And so now you ask us to simply put our hope and trust in you. I pray that we would do so today. In Christ we pray. Amen. So we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Um, I've asked the, the praise team, they're going to they're gonna play through a couple verses of Jesus Paid It All, um, which is a great song to remind us of what God has done for us in Christ, that, that it was his death and his resurrection that ensured eternal life for all who believe and trust in him. So what I want to encourage you to do now in the next few moments as they sing this song for us, to prayerfully think about that. There's two things that God calls us to do in communion. One is to recognize our own sinfulness, to know that, that we indeed are sinners in need of a Savior. And two is to respond to him in faith, to trust in the grace and the mercy that he extends to us in Christ and receive that for ourselves. And so take the next few moments, prayerfully think about those things as we pray our hearts for the Lord's Supper together.
And we have this assurance in God's word that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Praise God for that assurance we have in his word. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you that you have that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you willingly laid down your life so that we would be saved. Thank you, Lord, that, that we have been saved, we've been redeemed, not because of anything we've done for ourselves, but because of what you have done for us. Lord, we don't deserve it. Uh, we couldn't earn it for ourselves. But you have showed your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, you, Lord Jesus, died for us. So we thank you and praise you for that. I pray now as we prepare to, as we take these elements, um, that you would, that you would encourage us and strengthen us in that truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. For as Paul said, I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he broke it, when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So now, this is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And his blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this bread and this juice, which are symbols of the love that you have for us in Christ. They're reminders of the price that you paid so that we could be accepted into your family. I pray now that you would fill us with your spirit as we prepare to go from this place, that we may live for you this day and forever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service, I invite you to stand. And let's now sing those words together, if you're able, from Jesus, Jesus Paid It All.
Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace.
failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting, God so loved the 